Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Wow, that was powerful, wasn't it? Do you feel like God is with you right now? If you are a follower of Jesus, God is with you. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, God wants to be with you. That's awesome, isn't it? And uh, as I uh, heard, I want you to know, I want to declare, I pray the Eagles lose. All right, we're going to get that over with, all right? God is good? <laughs> the Eagles are terrible? All right, I'm just kidding. All right. Just got to know where we stand, right? What audience we are with. Either way, either way, it's okay. For all of you Eagles fans, whether they win or lose, God is good all the time, okay? So it'll be okay. Same for you, Chiefs fans. God is an equal opportunity consoler, all right? So it'll be good tonight, either way. Today, we're in week two of our series, Project 938. And if you are new, welcome. My name is John. I'm blessed to serve here as the pastor. And uh, let me just explain real quick what Project 938 is about. In fact, the entire month, we're talking about living on mission. And we looked last week and, and really about 18 months ago, I challenged you to set your phone alarm for 938. And some of you weren't here 18 months ago. So I'm still going to challenge you to set your phone alarm for 938. And the reason being is that we see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus presents an opportunity. He also presents an obstacle. And then in verse 38, he presents the remedy. Like in verse 37, Matthew 9, 37, this is what it says. Then he, then he Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, the opportunity, there's a lot of people that need Jesus. The obstacles, there's few people telling people about Jesus. And so what is the remedy? Verse number 38, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what we realize is that if we will consistently and purposely and passionately pray that God would send more people to tell people about Jesus, God's going to first answer that prayer with you because it's your responsibility, right? We talked about this last week in John chapter 17. Jesus was praying in the upper room with the disciples. They're about to head to the garden. He's about to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, falsely accused, crucified. Praise God, he was put in the grave and three days later he came back to life. Can you say amen to that? And because he lives, we can also live. Because he has victory over death, we can have victory over death. And so in that context, as he's with them, John 17, we looked at last week, Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for the disciples in the room and he prayed for future believers, which is hopefully you. And in his prayer, he said these words, God, Father, Lord, as you have sent me, Jesus was a missionary. He was sent by God to reveal God and to save the world. And Jesus said, as you have sent me, I also send them. And so we understand as a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith and hope of eternity in the finished work of the cross through Jesus, then at that moment, you've been commissioned. You've been sent. 
And so that's what we're talking about even again today. And as Soya mentioned, uh, I hope you'll join us Wednesday and Thursday from 6.30 to 8 in the chapel. Great opportunity to meet some of our missionaries. On Saturday, we have our men's breakfast at 8 and ladies' brunch at 10.30. Don't miss that. And today in your Connect group, some of you have already been in Connect group. Some of you are about to go. You should get one of these commitment cards, okay? And so we're going to invite you to be a part of the missionary work both locally and globally here at Hallmark. And the commitment card is pretty self-explanatory. Take it home this week, pray about it. Next week, we're gonna encourage you at the end of the service in here to just bring this commitment card. We're gonna invite you to lay it down on the altar and just pray that God would provide. We're, what we're asking you is a pretty simple request. Just pray this week. God, would you like me to, to give above my tithes to missions? so that more people can find and follow Jesus and be a part of the mission uh, emphasis and the mission work of Hallmark Church. So, everybody all right? Everybody understand what we're talking about? Take this home, pray about it, bring it back next week and uh, pray over it, all right? Now, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five. As we looked at last week that we are sent on mission as the Father sent the Son, the Son sends us. The, as you turn to 2 Corinthians 5, I want you to think about this one question that I want you to kind of wrestle with the entire rest of the service. Okay, it's a fairly simple question. There's probably uh, potentially a lot of answers and maybe dependent on what really you're thinking about, all right? So you'll understand when I say it. Here's the question. What compels you? What compels you? Think about that question. I think you'll probably know exactly the direction your mind should be going when we read the first verse we're going to look at, all right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. And this is Paul writing the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And he says, verse 14, For the love of Christ, what's the next word there? For the love of Christ, what is it? Compels us. So I don't know, but I, I'm hoping you already got the answer to your question, right? But we'll let you think about it for a while. The love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he, Jesus, died for, what's that word? Oh, does, does that include you? Yes or no? Well, I, I think if you're a part of the all, it does. And here it says, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This verse right here is like, gives you as a follower of Jesus purpose. Remember what the words of Jesus, we read them last week when Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And we say, what, what is the greater purpose of my life? What should I be living and what gives me meaning? And, and Paul says, it's the love of Christ that compels me that those who live and, and live means those who are followers of Jesus, you've received eternal life, that you shouldn't live no longer for just yourselves and your own goals and your ambitions and your life and more money and bigger house and new car, whatever it might be, you could fill the blanks. And what is it you are striving like the American dream, right? And what Paul says is, well, we have a greater cause. We have a greater purpose to live for. Well, let's keep reading. 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to flesh, even though we have known Christ according to flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And I think simply what Paul is trying to say is we, we should see people as, as eternal souls, that everyone is going to live eternity somewhere. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, then Paul is describing you as a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has, and we're going to see this next word like four times in the next few sentences. You might underline it if it's that prevalent in such a short span. Verse 18, let's look at it again. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He has given us, again, we're talking about followers of Jesus. He's given us the ministry of, there's the word again, reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And you might underline this word. We're going to define it here in a minute. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word or the message of, here's the word again, reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Here's the word again, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you pray with me? God, I ask in the next few minutes that you would speak into our lives. Lord, if there's someone in here that is not convinced that they're a follower of you, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, that you would through your spirit, that today you would call them to salvation and they would respond. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's define some terms here, right? There's some big theological words, big Bible words that we just read. Reconcile. What does it mean to reconcile? It simply means to be at peace or to make at Peace, all right? We, we read the word ambassador. That may be a little more familiar to us, but ambassador is someone, just a representative, right? If someone is representing someone else, usually in a different context, okay? Now, the next word, impute. It's kind of a math term or financial term that means to charge or to credit to one's account, okay? So reconcile, to be at peace, ambassador, representative, impute, to charge to one's account account. What I want to do this morning is just quickly give you four realizations or four realities of this word reconciliation, to be made at peace. The first one is this, reconciliation is of God, okay? Reconciliation is of God. It's a work of God. And even in the word reconciliation, the, the word in itself, when it says here that God reconciled the world to himself, there's an implication by saying that God reconciles us. And, and what the implication is that there's a problem between us and God. In order to be reconciled, you first have to be unreconciled, right? You have to be, there has to be something separating us. And when I try to explain it or think through it, what came to my mind was 
was Romans 3.23. And Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 follows it up by saying that because of our sin, the wages or the consequences or the punishment of our sin is, is death. And what that word in that context literally is saying is eternal separation. So it is our sin that separates us from a holy, righteous God. The wages of sin is death. There's the separation. But the rest of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal. What's the word? Life. Reconciliation. So there's an implication, right? If we need to be reconciled to God, it's because as scripture would say, we are enemies. We are enmity with God is what the scripture says. But, but, Again, this is a work of God. Look what verse 18 says. Now, all things are of God. Verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The reality is we cannot reconcile ourselves to God. We cannot appease his anger. We can't make the relationship be at peace because we are the ones who have sinned against God. It's a work of God. We cannot satisfy the justness of God. We cannot satisfy the anger of God. We cannot satisfy the, rate, the wrath of God. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot make reconciliation happen. It is of God. John 6, says this, no, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. And I will raise him up on that last day. So point number one, reconciliation is of God. Number two, reconciliation is through forgiveness. Look, look at verse number uh, 19. What does it say? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Again, it's a work of God. It's God reconciling us to him. The next word, two words here, not imputing their trespasses to them. Well, what does that mean? We said impute is to charge to one's account. So not imputing will be to not to charge to our account. So what is, what is he saying? That, that God is not charging our account with our sin. That's a, that's a big deal, whether you realize it or not. That's a, that's a big deal. Forgiveness. You see, reconciliation is made. There's a, a, a peace or there is peace between me and God only through forgiveness. This is not just a random thought in Scripture. This is all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, Psalm 32 too says, Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. New spirit, there is no deceit. Romans 4, 8, Paul again writes, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Colossians 3, 13, and you being dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven your trespasses. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. So, Realities of reconciliation. It's of God. It's through forgiveness. Number three, it's through faith. You see, forgiveness is available. Jesus 
wants to not impute your sins to your account, but it's only available through faith. We realize it's by the will of God. It's an act of God. Reconciliation is an act of God. It's only possible through forgiveness of sins. So how do we get the forgiveness? If if the only way for us to be reconciled to God is forgiveness of sins, then it's pretty important to know, well, how do I receive the forgiveness of sins? Well, Ephesians 2a tells us, by grace, you've been saved. There's a declaration. You've been saved by grace. You have been reconciled by the grace of God. As we just said, reconciliation is an act of God. It's God reconciling us to himself. It's, it's all by God's grace. So how do I get the grace? How do I get the forgiveness? Well, the rest of that verse, by grace you're saved through, what's the word? Faith. Forgiveness reconciliation, there's a requirement on my behalf. I must place my faith in him. And it goes on to say, it's a gift of God. John 1 verse 12, as many as received him, received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who, what's the word? Believe in his name. Acts 16, we read this verse last week, verse 30 and 31. And the Philippian jailer is talking and he says to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their answer was pretty simple, wasn't it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, reconciliation is of God. It's forgiveness, but it's available through faith. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ. The finished work of the cross Number four, reconciliation is through a trade. I think we all know what a trade is, right? I, I, um, I, I, can, can I share a prayer request with you guys today? It's going gonna, it's gonna to come across as a little insincere and unauthentic, okay? And maybe it is. I don't know. How many of you are familiar with the NBA trade deadline this past week? Any NBA fans? Okay. Our student pastor, Carlos, is in mourning because his team is the Brooklyn Nets. And I don't know if you you know much about basketball, you know that they had like the big three, right? And all three of them said, we want out. And this, you know, it's been a while since Harden got traded, but this past week, Kyrie Irving and Katie got traded. And I really thought, I mean, Carlos was going to call in sick. Am I right, Stefan? And Stefan would not allow him. All right. Carlos is actually home today with two sick girls. Right. Okay. He's, he's probably watching at home right now. And so... I, I, this morning I thought of sharing this because I, I just like giving Carlos a hard time. And also, you know, like, it's funny how as soon as a trade happens, I mean, we're like five minutes after the trade happens and I'm seeing on Instagram, uh, they're already grading the trade. Like the Mavericks get a C minus in the trade for Kyrie Irving. And like, there's no way to really know without at least a year going by whether it was a good trade or not. But I, I started thinking through that. But I also realized Carlos likes to collect bobbleheads. And I knew he had three bobbleheads of these three favorite players. And usually he turns them around backwards when they get traded. 
right? He went to the extreme this week, I heard, and just hid them. Like he removed them from his office space. So I went in, I came early this morning, hoping to find them and take a picture, just because I like giving Carlos a hard time. And I walked to his desk this morning, and this is what I found on his desk. Okay, someone else on staff beat me to it and said, you cannot hide, we miss you, Carlos, all right? So could we collectively give a big awe for Carlos on the count of three, one, two, three? Oh, we really don't care that much, Carlos. <laughs> so in a trade, there's always a give and take, right? There's always a, seemingly a winner and loser. Sometimes tra trades seem a little more fair than others. But typically, as it plays out, you realize, oh, wow, this team got the best of that team, right? Sometimes that, that happens. What I, what I want you to realize is point number four is this. Reconciliation, it's of God, it offers forgiveness, it's through faith, and fourth, it's a trade. And what I want you to understand today, that although some trades are iffy, some are hard to determine who won or not, this trade is completely one-sided. Completely one-sided. So let's, let's look at the verse, 19. Listen, so this is, this is build up to the trade. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing, what does that say? Not crediting my sins to my account. That's a pretty big deal. And how do I not get the sins credited to my account? By placing my faith in Jesus and he offers forgiveness. But, but look at verse 21. For he, let's, let's not doubt who this is. This is for he, God, God the Father, made him. Who's, who's the him there? Jesus. God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Jesus did not sin. But God accredited, imputed my sin to his account. He did not credit to my account. He credited to Jesus' account. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, isn't it? In other words, God treated Jesus as a sinner so that he could treat me as if I were not. My sin placed on Jesus' account. Let's finish the trade. Look at the rest of verse 21. Let's read the whole verse. That he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what does this mean? Not, not only does God not credit my sin to my account, but he also credits Jesus' righteousness to my account. That's a pretty big trade, isn't it? 
and it's completely one-sided. We win. We win the trade. Let me see if I can, and I know I've illustrated this way before, but I want to illustrate this for us again today. Just, Just in case there's any doubt of how awesome this trade is. What this trade actually means. Because the Bible says that we, we are, uh, our righteousness, the word it describes, is as filthy rags. And the Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not one. We are all sinners. And this jacket here represents me my sins. It represents you and your sins. This, this is me, right? I, I, I'm selfish. My wife would say amen to that. I'm a, I guess I'm a gossip. I don't know. I am greedy. Ask my parents. I lied a lot. Prideful, yes. Control, lust, anger, I don't like this sleeve. It's all me. Murder. I've never murdered anybody. I don't get any wrong idea. But remember what Jesus said? He said, you've heard it said that if you murder, you're going to face judgment. But I say, if you have anger in your heart, you're going to face judgment. Adultery is right below that. Jesus said, you have heard it said He who commits adultery. But I say unto you, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. What Jesus wants us to know, that when we stand before him, without him, this is what God is going to see. The Bible says that if I've committed one of these sins, one offense to God, then I failed the entire law. And my sin separates me from a holy, righteous God. But but what does the scripture say? He does not impute my sins to my account. And it goes the step farther to say that he credited Jesus, like the cross. He placed my sins, my guilt, my shame, my greed, my lust, my anger, my selfishness, my pride, on the cross, he treated Jesus as if he were me. And he treated me as if I were Jesus. And when God looks at me, a person, I can't get this jacket off. When God looks at me, a person who has placed my faith in him, he doesn't see my sin anymore. I'm not clothed in that. I'm clothed in what? Jesus' righteousness. He's imputed Jesus' righteousness to my account. Is that a good trade? It is. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And real quickly, I just want to say maybe today, to give you clarity, how, how do I accept the trade? I want that. I, I want to be seen and clothed in the righteousness of God. I want forgiveness of sins. I want to place my shame and my guilt and my lust and my anger 
on the cross. And the Bible says it's very simple, simply three steps. Admit that you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for you, confess Jesus is Lord. And so I wanna lead you through a, qu a quick prayer today. And if you would like to make this trade and have your sins forgiven, restored relationship, reconciliation, then I'm gonna invite you to pray right where you're at. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. And I confess Jesus is Lord. I ask you to save me, to forgive me, to reconcile me. And if you prayed that prayer, as Paul wrote, you are a new creation in Christ. All things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when the Lord looks at you now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. I wanna ask as our eyes are closed, would anyone say, John, I prayed, I made the trade. I place my faith in Jesus. Raise your hand, there's one. Anyone else, just put your hand up. There's another one. Anyone else, just put your hand up. I'm not gonna call you out. Just put your hand up. Thank you. And what I wanna encourage you, you can put your hands down. What I wanna encourage you to do is to tell somebody before you leave today. Tell somebody before you leave. I'm gonna be at the back in the foyer at the close of the service. You're welcome to come tell me. Scan the QR code and let us know that you made a decision. But let, let somebody know that you made that decision today.